I'm Jennifer Love Hewitt. And I'm the country of France, if it was shaped like a dinosaur. And welcome to Planet of the Meerkats. The question is, what what type of dinosaur would it be shaped like? Oh, T Rex, like a little like chicken nugget dinosaur. Yeah, because it's got those rounded corners that like, vaguely I, I, resembles it. I kind of hope that uh, you know, global warming that it happens and like sea levels rise, that it turns countries into some interesting shapes. Because at yeah. least we get some entertainment out of the the chaos and destruction. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, we both have Elgato mics now. We've we've upgraded, and we both sound silky smooth. Yep. Before, actually, before the last episode, I was using a, a Yeti microphone, and that's supposedly one of the best out there. It was not compatible with the way that I record, and I've been much happier <laughs> with the Elgato. What is what is your style of recording, Dave? Here's one thing that my wife has told me. She said that your voice is too uh-huh. low, and that she's getting old, and especially <laughs> in the car, she can't hear what the hell you're saying. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to do the podcast like this. <laughs> This is just for you, Emily. <laughs> uh, so, Dave, what are we talking about today? Uh, we're talking about storytelling and the future of storytelling. Yeah, and and we we kind of touched on this in our in our conversation with Eric Levin last week, and I yeah. think Eric had a very uh, astute observation, which is that the stories don't really change. Mm-hmm. Stories are a- as old as time, right? They're archetypal stories. They probably will stay with us, but the the actual formats will change. I'm a huge um, fan of stories. I love to read. Yeah. I love movies. I love just the the art of storytelling and being uh, being swept up. You like when I cuddle up next to you in bed and read you a good night story. I know that. Oh, I do. <laughs> Get, don't let your voice get too low, though. <laughs> it's time for your bedtime story. <laughs> okay, that's terrifying. We're both drinking beers. So let's yes. introduce our beers for this show. I'm drinking a Modern Times Warp Tube, which is 8.5% alcohol and is in a tall can. So I might be sufficiently sloshed <laughs> by the That's end awesome. of this podcast with my lightweight now. How about you? What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Fort Point Natural Magic Hazy Pale Ale. Nice. So it's not a hazy IPA. It's a hazy pale ale. How is this, it? Is, this one is really good. It's really good. So we were in Anaheim last week. And I think every night that we were there, we talked about going to the Modern Times Tavern. <laughs> and we never made it. Yeah. That's disappointing. But I guess, you know, it's a, it's a reason to go back. Exactly. So we're going to kick off today talking about some of our modern mythology. The first one that comes to mind is superhero movies, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the company leading the pack on these superhero movies really is Marvel. Um, mm-hmm. They've created this shared universe of... If not, you know, there are some good, good and great movies. Some of them are just okay. But really what they've done is be able to put together a machine that's able to make these movies that are all pretty enjoyable. You know, none of the Marvel movies have scored below two-thirds on Rotten Tomatoes and all but two are certified fresh. Mm-hmm. And to think about how hard that is. Think about the Marvel movies outside of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So Ghost Rider, um, X-Men Apocalypse, Daredevil. They're terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and you but if you think of these marvel movies as serial chapters and like a dickens like epic i think it's mm -hmm. it's helpful you know people like to, to shit on marvel because marvel has a, a formula right but you know i think what they've discovered is they have a formula that that works and they're able to apply it in different ways and you know this level of connected storytelling isn't something that's been achieved before in cinema there's been things that have tried to do it horror movies sci-fi properties but never like this consistently well now it's beyond cinema right with the mm -hmm. disney plus shows if there was someone who was hoping that after infinity war marvel would go away they were sorely <laughs> mistaken it's only gonna get better or worse depending on your point of view <laughs> well and the, you know they have four movies scheduled to come out this year black widow just mm -hmm. came out which is a movie that takes place in the past it doesn't really move the, the universe forward any and then they have shang chi which is a kung fu movie uh and then which is completely sort of out of step with what they've done before mm -hmm. and then they have the eternals which for all i can tell from the preview is a bunch of very good looking actors sitting around eating dinner <laughs> and then a, a spider-man movie that's a lot of content to come out and if they pull all these movies off like uh, my hat's off to them that's amazing Mm -hmm. And, you know, like with Shang-Chi, I wasn't super excited about it. I'm not familiar with the comics character. I was probably going to see it just because I see all the Marvel movies. But then in the trailer that came out, they showed Wong from Do uh, Doctor Strange fighting the Abomination from the Hulk movie. And I was just mm -hmm. like, okay, I got to see what this is about. And now I'm like on board and excited for the movie. So this this interconnectedness really drives a level of popularity. One One thing I appreciate is they've now introduce this concept of the multiverse we're huge fans of the multiverse so yes you know hopefully hopefully this idea will be executed really well it's actually pretty brilliant because think about like how many variations on a story you can tell now mm -hmm. through a multiverse they can bring back characters characters can have different variants anything is possible at this point well there's rumors that andrew garfield and toby mcguire are going to both be in the spider-man movie and <laughs> albert molina is confirmed playing Dr. Octopus from the original Spider-Man 2, and Jamie Foxx is confirmed as playing Electro from the second Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. I don't even know what that's called. It's, it, yeah, they need better movies, better names for these movies. These superhero movies are, they're a shared experience. It's one of our last sort of mass media things that the whole society really, everyone sees. Growing up in the 90s, there were way more of these things than there are now because culture is so, culture is fractured because of the internet and there are things that cross over, but it's not at the scale that it used to be. And we were talking about Star Wars kind of maybe being one of the first sort of big time shared viewing experiences and that might've given Star Wars that power to become such a cultural force. And it's interesting to compare Star Wars to Marvel because Star Wars remains crazy popular despite how inconsistent the, <laughs> the offerings are and yeah. how downright terrible some of the movies have been. So my question is, why is Star Wars still so popular? Well, I think Star Wars really, I mean, you nailed it, has been elevated beyond the quality of its content. And it's created its own sort of mythology. You know, it's, it's, it's I think when people look back at this era, like 200, 300 years from now, they're going to look back and see how things like Star Wars really impacted society. You know, the the language that we talk in is peppered with references to popular culture. Things like Star Wars really drive that. You know, and there's, for people who are hardcore Star Wars fans, there's all sorts of extra media. There's books and video games and mm -hmm. TV shows. Marvel has 
integrated so many characters and storylines together, you know, it mm-hmm. really is about all these characters being able to come in and and contribute, right? And and Star Wars in some ways, I guess, has some of the same themes, but they've been way too reliant on uh, like a single cast of, of heroes, right? It's all so reliant on the Skywalker saga. And every time you think that they are going to branch away from that, they just come right back. And I don't understand what the strategy is mm-hmm. to, to sort of grow this brand. And it feels lazy. It feels like the people who are running the show feel like people will just love Star Wars forever, no matter what. <laughs> well, and, but there have been some some missteps, you know, Solo didn't make very much money and it tanked overseas, mm-hmm. especially China. There just wasn't an interest in it. Whereas Marvel's making an active push to engage like Chinese audiences. You know, yeah. in Iron Man 3, they made a really clumsy insert where he goes to China to get his his chest thing removed. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's hardly noticeable to Western audiences, but in China, like, it's like, hey, we're here. They're noticing us. And now they have, uh, you know, Shang-Chi coming out, which is essentially, I don't know if it's based in China or partially based in China, but it's really engaged with like Chinese culture. So I also wanted to talk about another Disney franchise. Mm-hmm. It was a forerunner to both the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe and Star Wars. This franchise consists of 14 films. And this is, of course, the Airbud franchise, or as it's known in Germany, Airbud. <laughs> so I, I did a little bit of research. It turns out Airbud uh, was originally a real stray dog that a guy ran into while he was hiking, and he adopted it and taught it to play basketball. And that <laughs> that is the original Airbud. <laughs> I have so many questions. Yeah. <laughs> so he learned to play base basketball, soccer, baseball. How does a dog dribble? He doesn't. The be-all, end-all of him playing basketball is somebody passes them the ball in a way where he's able to punch it with his nose and make it go through the hoop. I really want to see this dog play defense, though. Bite the power forward. Yeah. <laughs> 14 films. That's incredible. Well, there's Air Bud, and then apparently Air Bud's been... He's been... <laughs> because he has a litter of puppies, the Buddies, and there's a whole series of Buddies <laughs> films, which is in that... Airbud universe but apparently snow buddies was a horror show and they filmed it with puppies that were too young basically you're supposed they're supposed to be like eight weeks old and they're only mm-hmm. six weeks old and a bunch of them got giardia and parvo and five of them died and the production was sued by animal rights act- activists but yeah it's quite concerning especially since you know air buddies it's a christmas pre- a christmas favorite when was the the latest film produced 2000 and 14 and the first one was produced in 1997 wow that's very long running yeah but i'm impressed though 14 14 movies i mean so how many did the original Airbud star in before they brought in like a, four. they recast it so he made it through four movies before a recast that's well i know i don't think the same dog did because that dog okay. died he pretty died pretty soon after the first Airbud movie he was a you know golden retriever i think he had hip problems he had to have his leg amputated he was balling too hard yeah the guy who adopted him thought a great way to have people adopt dogs would be to get strays and uh, shelter pets and teach them to play sports. And then people would <laughs> adopt the dogs because they're able to play sports, which I, I, I got my hats off to the creativity. But, you know, I think it's a flawed premise. <laughs> so speaking of large franchises, we're going to yeah. start a, a watch through. What are we going to watch, Neil? The Fast and the Furious. <laughs> so next week, so- we're going to do a recap within the show of the Fast and the Furious. 
And then we're going to proceed to do the next eight movies. <laughs> are we going to watch Hobbs and Shaw as well? Hell yeah, we are. We got to do, we got to do the whole, the whole cinematic universe. And then I think after that, we decided we'd move on to the Wes Anderson cinematic universe. Yeah. And he has a new movie coming out. The French Dispatch. So by the time we get to uh, <laughs> the end of Wes Anderson, will probably be by the time French Dispatch is out, which is, I think, October. Let's talk about streaming services as production powerhouses. This is the future, right? This is where we're going to end up, where a lot of our content is going to originate. Outside of Marvel. Well, and even with Marvel and Star Wars, like they're putting a lot of their content out on the streaming services. You have Mandalorian. That's true. They're both busy now. Do you know much about Netflix and, and its production strategy? Because as far as I can tell, their approach is to essentially like create as many series as possible. In the hopes that like one or two will be a huge hit. Yeah. So the, from what I've observed with Netflix, I think really, yeah, what they do is they try and create a lot of different series, but then they don't tend to carry them very far. You know, Stranger mm -hmm. Things is the exception where it's going mm -hmm. on to, I think, season four eventually. But with a lot of the shows, what they'll do is they'll bring it on for a season or two. And then they realize that that show has stopped bringing in new subscribers. And so they cancel mm -hmm. it. So there's been a lot of frustrating fan experiences with Netflix shows because they'll get into a show, but it's not bringing in new customers, so the show gets canceled. I'm curious what the data would show on that. Like, once you have the customer, what's the retention? Mm -hmm. It must be high, right? Say it brings on like 10,000 new subscribers, and then after it's over, you lose 10,000 subscribers who were there primarily for that show. It's probably yeah. not how it works, right? Those people probably are retained in some form because they become hooked on something else. The well, thing the thing is, I feel like Netflix has less legacy content than it used to. Mm -hmm. If you're like looking for a particular show like Seinfeld or something and it's not on there, are you going to stick around for like 80% of the content being just like crappy season one content of some show that Netflix isn't going to commit to? I mean, that's that's ex exactly right. Um, and, you know, I think... I, I'm kind of in a unique spot in that I remember paying for cable. Mm -hmm. And so if my streaming service bill comes to $100, I'm not flinching because yeah. I remember paying $150 for cable or satellite mm -hmm. TV. And I canceled that. So now I just have streaming. But like you have this new generation that will have never paid for cable. And so they're questioning, yeah. you know, why should I pay $100 for all these different streaming yeah. services? <clears throat> and exactly what the naysayers predicted, it's fragmented a lot. NBC has pulled their content for their Peacock service. Mm -hmm. uh, CBS pulled their content and they have their own CBS all access service. And at least CBS is really doing driving it with a lot of original Star mm -hmm. Trek content, but mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's going to become unmanageable here in the next few years. I think, I, I think baseball is an interesting avenue through which to explore this. Like if you don't pay for cable and you don't mm -hmm. go to a bar every night, it's actually really hard to watch baseball. Yeah, you know, I haven't had cable in like 20 years, probably. And it basically means I just don't watch baseball. I listen on the radio from time to time. But I mostly follow now just by like reading game recaps on The Athletic. Yeah. But I would like to watch baseball if there was a way to, to stream it. And I've never committed to buying the whatever the MLB package is because they do these blackout things, right? So it's like, yeah. okay, I can watch like half the games but i think what's interesting is there there's sort of there's a shift happening right so now mm -hmm. it's like you can buy them on youtube so it's like 
30 bucks a month and you can watch all the games. And now NBC is moving that some of that content to Peacock. There was a whole series. <laughs> I think it was I think it was the the Giants were playing the Phillies back in May and it ruffled a lot of feathers. Uh <laughs> Pardon the phrase there, uh, because they moved they moved the whole series over to Peacock and it wasn't available on CSN Bay Area or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think baseball is a great example of how there's going to be a shift happening and how that content is delivered. And it's not entirely clear like where it's going to go. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of experimentation happening because it's it's a bad user experience. Unless you're a, a, a cable subscriber and it's just less and less people, it's mm-hmm. just a bad experience. So the future has to hold something better than the way it currently is. Well, and I'm I'm a Giants fan, but I so I don't li- but I don't live in the Bay Area anymore, and so I can't turn on the radio and listen to Giants games. Yeah, and so I have the MLB app. I pay twenty bucks a year so I can listen mm-hmm. to the audio of Crew Keep mm-hmm. Pipe. You know, do the play by play in the games. Um, which, you know, that's reasonable, I guess, yeah. um, to be able to listen to an audio stream. Yeah. Um, and that's that's how I take in baseball is primarily mm-hmm. I'll, you know, be sitting there and I'll, I'll turn on game day where you can see where the pitches are hitting and listen to the audio and that's it. But it's always a little bit out of sync, which is annoying. But in I'll theory, be- you could in theory, you could you could pay to watch the the watch the games. You can stream them through MLB dot com. Mm-hmm. Right. And you wouldn't be subject to the blackouts because you don't live in the blackout area. So you you could, me being a Giants fan in the Bay Area has less access to the Giants content than you do, right? Because they black it out for the local TV. I mean, oh, I think that's the way it still works. Well, if you need to uh, lie to MLB and tell them that you live in San Diego, <laughs> you can feel free to use my address. Let's talk about your billion dollar Ghostbusters idea. Okay, I'm super excited about this idea. And if some producers want to do it, like give me a call, man. I, I I'm I'm down for for helping you produce this. <laughs> so Ghostbusters has been a franchise that's struggled. You know they had two movies in the '80s, mm-hmm. and then they had another movie like ten years ago. They haven't really been able to successfully revive the franchise, even though it's super popular and everybody loves the Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. So my idea is everybody in the world has ghosts. Right, there are different mythologies everywhere. There's the yokai in Japan and banshees in Ireland, like everywhere. They have their own ghost myths and beliefs that have been built up around ghosts. So, license out the Ghostbuster concept to filmmakers in different countries. Right, you could have a French New Wave Ghostbusters movie, a Japanese anime Ghostbusters <laughs> movie, a Hong Kong Kung Fu Ghostbusters movie, shit, an Indian Bollywood musical Ghostbusters movie. Right. But they're all like acknowledged as being within the same universe, even though like different people are making them. There's different ghosts. And then every once in a while, you could bring the more popular version, uh, versions of the franchise together into like team up movies. So you have like the Bollywood movie featuring the J- Japanese Ghostbusters and the Canadian Ghostbusters or whatever. Bill Murray's character has to be in all of them. Yes. <laughs> no matter the culture. He'll be the Stan Lee of Ghostbusters. But imagine, right, if if like how popular it would be if you had like Tamil cinema produce their own Ghostbusters movie mm-hmm. with all of the like craziness and flourishes that they put into their movies, but it's Ghostbusters, right? <laughs> and diehard fans are going to follow this everywhere. They're going to, they're going to be watching movies from other countries. It'll be a great way to introduce cultures to people uh, who, who may not necessarily have exposure to those cultures mm-hmm. you know there's these super low budget like african movies that are made in places like 
you know, Senegal or, or Kenya or whatever. Shit, make that a Ghostbusters movie. Like, have cardboard ghosts floating around. <laughs> Who cares? Like, the stuff could be awesome. And there may be some duds. There'll probably be a lot of duds. But at the end of the day, you're going to have this library of awesome Ghostbusters movies all focused on the same subject. Oh, and this reminds me of Be Kind Rewind. Did you ever see that movie? Yeah, the, when they I, did um, Swede the movies. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea, Dave. I like it. You mentioned diehard fans, and it, it made me think you could also do the diehard series in the same format, like the same idea. I want to see a Bollywood diehard. That'd be incredible. French diehard, right? <laughs> Liberté, égalité, diehard. <laughs> I don't know what diehard is in French. This has to happen. Just has to. <laughs> diehard, like Russian diehard, vodka, and like AK-47s all over the place. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to go on my social media rant. All right. I think it's taking the fun out of creation. So as an example here, right? Like recently, this huge pop sensation, Olivia Rodrigo, she's got this album, Sour, which is like huge, mm -hmm. huge teen star. She went to the, the fucking White House last week to promote vaccination. <laughs> so in, in my book, that's awesome. Yeah. She's awesome, right? I've listened to some of her songs. You know, I'm 41 years old. Her music doesn't speak to me necessarily. But I can see the appeal of her music, right? She's a huge pop star. And, you know, she's, what, like 20, 19? Mm -hmm. Anyway, last month, she released a concert film called Sour Prom. And the promo image was her wearing a prom dress, holding wilted flowers, and she had mascara streaming down her face. And Courtney Love on Twitter accused her of copying the cover of Live Through This and demanded a written apology and was like, you can send me flowers. I live in London. <laughs> Okay, look, I think Live Through This is a great album. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, I think it's, it's really cool now, I think, to like talk down about grunge. But like, look, I think a lot of grunge was actually really great. Pearl Jam Forever. And I think, I think Live Through This was one of the great albums of the 90s. And whatever happened with Courtney Love and Hole after that, like, that album still rocks, yeah. in my opinion. But Courtney Love, even at the time, was like playing in the sandbox of cultural criticism. Mm -hmm aimed at mainstream youth culture. Obviously, prom is like a totem of youth culture. Like prom is, is, is this big formative moment for, for kids, right? Yeah. You're criticizing prom and you're therefore criticizing culture as a whole. And that al album cover of Live Through This is like a great distillation of that critique. But it's not like Courtney Love was the first person to like critique mainstream culture or prom or high school or cheerleaders <laughs> you know she had like the baby doll dresses and the smeared makeup and the crazy ass hair yeah and it was like a compelling aesthetic but it she wasn't even the first person to do that like look at punk and goth aesthetic right mm -hmm. look at punk and goth fashion and whole drew obvious influence from carrie the brian de palma film well and um, look at her husband's album never mind in the the video for Smells like Teen Spirit. Like, yeah, I mean, with the cheerleaders. Yeah, that right? predated her by quite a few years, or predated that yeah. album. Yeah, so in the Miss World video, which is off of Live Through This, it's like got Courtney Love basically like on stage as this prom queen that's like obviously going through some shit, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, this draws inspiration from Carrie. Anyway, look, rock music was invented by black people and white people co-opted it. So... <laughs> Let's just cool it with all the accusations of musicians stealing ideas. Like the whole premise of pop music is it's based on people being inspired and then copying something mm -hmm. and then learning their own style and evolving and creating something cool and more exciting than what came before. Yeah. So I feel like this whole, like the whole 
arc of social media as this place where we are policing everything everybody does and calling artists out for their inspirations is really bad. Like, so another one of Olivia Rodrigo's songs, Brutal, the criticism of that song is that it like pretty much directly lifts the guitar riff from Pump It Up by Elvis Costello mm. off of this year's model released in 1978. And it does. Like, if you listen to it, it's like, it's, it's like the same riff, but it's not that it's not that like unique of a riff, right? Like, <laughs> you know, this happens all the time. Like things sound similar. Artists get called out and they're kind of forced to then credit that artist, even if it wasn't, even if they didn't intentionally rip it off. Well, and to Costello's it's credit. It's just how the game you, works. Yeah, that's what, that's what Costello said, right? Yeah. That's how the game works. And yeah, I mean, imagine if Paul McCartney... And Ringo Starr sat around complaining all day about all the people who take inspiration from the Beatles. <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine if Chuck Berry had sat around all day, and he probably did, and said, all these fucking British white guys are ripping me off. Um, <laughs> which they did. And uh, Muddy Waters and, uh, you know. Well, and of course, Chuck Berry Robert, took Johnny Robert B. Johnson from, and, uh, uh, Michael J. Fox. <laughs> of course. <laughs> So it's funny because the, the bigger story with this Olivia Rodrigo thing is that she wasn't even ripping off Hole. She she was ripping off this other band, this Brooklyn band called Pom Pom Squad. Their whole thing is like they, they go really hard in the paint on this like twisted, kitschy, bizarro 80s cheerleader prom aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And it's like super obvious when you look, when you compare like their stuff that they posted about their album with hers. I guess my, my point of this is like in the future, as we go forward and this stuff gets worse and worse and worse, like who... Fucking cares part of what's interesting about music and culture is like tracing the trail of inspirations like mm. it's kind of cool to go back with movies especially and like okay let's just take an obvious example like tarantino right mm. can we just all agree that despite the things that he does that that are problematic like he's a brilliant filmmaker but he very clearly like references his inspirations mm -hmm. it's fun yeah. to like see that trail right and if we just are gonna like basically shame people until they no longer do that i think it's going to make for way less interesting well and if you look at even you know. brian de palma you mentioned him earlier as the director of carrie mm -hmm. um you know he he made a movie called the untouchables back in the 90s about mm -hmm. al capone and elliot ness and there's a scene in that movie that takes place on the stairs that's almost a shot for shot mimicry of battleship potemkin by sergey eisenstein mm -hmm. from russia I mean, it's, it's everybody, everybody's copying everybody else. That's, that is part and of the game. sometimes it's, yeah, and sometimes it's, it's intentional, right? Because mm -hmm. it's an homage, right? Well, so, but to me, it's kind of irrelevant. Like whether something is like intentionally an homage or not, like, like that's just how the human experience works. Like we are, we see, we see things that we like mm -hmm. and we copy and hopefully we make it better. Well, right. We've talked about this before, but you know, the emergence of hip hop, a lot of these hip hop artists who emerged in the eighties and nineties, the instrument they had were their parents' records. And so yeah. they would use the records and the record players as an instrument to build their, their rhymes and beats around. And so it was a way for them to make music that didn't require them to go out and buy instruments. And, you know, an amazing music movement was born, born from that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it shamelessly ripped off a lot of previous stuff, but it built on that and it built its, its exactly. own musical movement and identity. And if it wasn't for capitalism and the need for like samples to be cleared, imagine the records we could have had post 1990 seven or whatever i don't mm -hmm. remember when the the laws changed around it but yeah 
you, you look at like Paul's Boutique or um, Three Feet High and Rising by De La Soul. Mm-hmm. Those records are almost entirely built on just an amazing array of samples that are like so expertly crafted together, which could never have been made like five years later. Oh, yeah. Right? And they're great. But imagine if I listen to Paul's Boutique if, today. But imagine if like that had discontinued and, and you were able to really explicitly say, like, I think this music is great and then do my own thing on top of it. Mm-hmm. What What's wrong with that? I don't know. Anyway, all of this to say <laughs> that, like, I'm curious to see where this goes in the future, because it's a troubling trend to me. And I really hope that we find a way to correct and like have more people that have the view of Elvis Costello, which is like, this is just the way it is. Yeah. And it's great. You know, I mean, Elvis Costello just seems like a cool dude. Anyway. Oh, yeah. But. Elvis Costello is <laughs> awesome. I remember speaking, speaking of cable, uh, I had a, a feud with Comcast. And for years, we didn't have cable and there was no streaming. This was pre-streaming. So we all we have was the antenna. So we were limited to watching whatever was on the main networks and Channel 6. Mm-hmm. And we watched a lot of Arthur the cartoon in the mornings before mm-hmm. work. But then in the evenings, we would watch History Detectives, which, of course, uses Elvis Costello's oh, brain, yeah. or song, Watching the Detectives. And that's, that's still one of my favorite songs, which... You know, oh, yeah. History Detectives. Oh, that's, a, that's an awesome show. That show's great, yeah. too. Speaking of history, I discovered this podcast through Twitter ads, but I realized that it was actually a friend of mine who was directing it. Oh. And I was really, first of all, like interested in the idea of, of a podcast having a director. And the director is my friend Maureen Barucha, who is an amazing director. She just last year released a film called Golden Arm, which is about uh, professional arm wrestling. So, so um, sidebar, we should have her on the show. I know, I know. If we get she's, her. I, I tried to see her in L.A. when we were down there, but she's filming another movie right now. Fair, fair enough. Not everybody has the, the time to be on a two-minute yeah. broadcast. Yeah. But if, if you listen to this, <laughs> we, we would love to talk to you. <laughs> anyway, Ma- Maureen is super talented, and so she's directing this podcast. It's about Edith Wilson, the wife of Woodrow Wilson, who famously basically like ran the country while he was in a coma <laughs> after having a stroke. But it stars in the the main role as Edith Wilson, Rosamund Pike. I listened to this podcast and it's kind of like old timey radio. And I was just thinking, like I mentioned to you earlier, the format has changed, but the story is still the same. And it's it's almost like sitting around the fireplace, like listening to FDR tell you know the the weekly broadcast about what's going on. And podcasts offer so so many different opportunities for storytelling. And so I think they're an exciting venue for for new innovation that's going to kind of come up. Well, and I think the internet in general has really democratized storytelling. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there was a podcast I listened to called. Um, What's the name of the podcast? Um, it's called What's the Name of the Podcast? <laughs> we should change our That's name a to great that. name. <laughs> it's called Limetown. And it was a, ser- a podcast that went on for a couple seasons. And then there ended up being a book accompaniment. And there were some uh, YouTube specials, I think. And it was sort of like mm-hmm. this this storytelling branch beyond the podcast. But you look at The Martian, which was a you know Oscar-winning Big budget Oscar winning movie, a huge novel that started off being originally published serially on a website. And mm-hmm. the author would, uh, after he published a chapter, would go listen to input from people reading it <laughs> to make sure that the science was right, which is one of the reasons why it's such a That's great, like, hard science story. Which, if you haven't read The Martian, I'm not talking about the movie. The movie's fine, but the book is amazing. If you haven't read The Martian, go pick it up. It's hilarious. But, you know, the, the barrier for publishing is much lower. You know, there's a, a legitimation of fan fiction that's happened 
you know, fan, mm-hmm. Fifty Shades of Grey, which is a multi-million dollar franchise, you know, with books and movies. And, you know, that not only is there a trilogy of books, there's a trilogy of books that tells the same story from another character's perspective. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> it, it, you know, that started off as fan fiction of the Twilight Saga and evolved Amazing. into its own thing. Uh, my daughter, Abigail, she likes to read about SCPs, which is sort of a, a wiki-esque way of telling scary stories. So everybody can mm-hmm. like post their own versions of these monsters that defy logic. And Abigail will sit there and write her own SCP stories. But that, it, like mm-hmm. she could easily go publish those on the website. Oh, man, that reminds me of a story I wrote it, senior year, which was... Uh, which was for Miss Abel's class. And I think I had an A on it, which is like, why did you give me an A on this piece of shit story? But it was basically like combining the members of the band Corn <laughs> with the characters, with the characters from uh, uh, what was the um, the life and times of Igor? Ivan Denisovich. Alexander Solzhenitsyn book. <laughs> <laughs> I just combined all the I combined the care I like replaced the characters in there with the guys from Corn and then that's like wrote this lame ass story and I got an A. Like, I will give you Sable, a million on. dollars if you agree to publish that on our website. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to find it. Oh man. But is that's that amazing. an SCP? I feel like maybe it is. No, um, an SCP would be more like if you conceived of a version of Jonathan Davis, which was some like incomprehensible <laughs> monster. And then wrote stories about him being locked up in this uh, supernatural prison. I don't know. It's it's weird. <laughs> oh man! Uh, but another person we should yeah. have on this show is uh, Emily, one of Emily's college friends. Um, her name is Emma Chastain. She's been writing uh, uh, young adult novels, but she oh, just published okay. straight to um, Audible. Audible. Yeah. yeah, she just published a book straight to Audible, which is like, an, like you're saying, like the barrier to entry. Not that it's lower, not that the the quality is lower, mm-hmm. but it's just a different, it's a different way to distribute. Well, there's a so lot of I great stories out there. Yeah, and I found some great stories that were yeah published in non traditional ways, uh, and. You know, even places like Twitter and Instagram. I remember I was mm-hmm. chatting. I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast. I was chatting with a girl or with a woman at uh, UC San Diego and her favorite. She was like an English major and her favorite poets were Instagram poets. And I was just like, wow, mm-hmm. there's a guy named mm-hmm. Poem for Your Sprog on Reddit. And he'll randomly mm-hmm. go around to different feeds and look at comments and write these little amazing poems. Like if you have time, go look up Poem for Your Sprog. Yeah. It's like... You know, it's like this this thing on Reddit. He doesn't get any money for it. You know, it's all he gets is you know worthless Reddit karma. But at the end of the day, he yeah. creates all these little little gems of poems that are hilarious. Some of them are hilarious, yeah. some of them are touching. But yeah, it's good to hear that those that people are finding success telling stories on Twitter and Instagram. Because I think one thing when you go on Instagram that is really troubling mm-hmm. is that there's almost Instagram's own version of monoculture. Oh yeah, because the algorithm like rewards certain types of engagement. Creators specifically create things that will get that engagement, and so you end up with a lot of one type of one type of thing, or a lot of like the same similar types of content. And TikTok, obviously, I think does the same thing, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that can like subdue creativity because if your pathway to like reaching out and and getting 
traction is to get engagement, you're going to do what it takes. So if you're a poet or a visual artist or whatever, like I think it can compromise your vision, but it's heartening to hear that people are finding success either way. Yeah. It's a hard environment to succeed in. Well, the pandemic changed everything, didn't it? You know, on one hand, it put so many things online that weren't online before from conventions to concerts. But then on the other hand, it made people really crave the live experiences. For sure. I mean, we bought concert tickets, I think, back in like April before the pandemic had really started to even turn. Mm -hmm. We bought tickets to see Deftones at uh, Bill Graham in San Francisco. And then last week, they rescheduled that show till the spring. The pandemic has changed things, but people still are going to always crave live entertainment. Well, there's something to be said about going to a concert and sitting in the nosebleed seats. You know, you can barely see the people singing, but you can hear them. And you're just sharing that experience Mm -hmm. with 30,000 other people, it's cool. Or, you know, going to a a dive bar and listening to someone, uh, you know, with an acoustic guitar just up there, you know, riffing. We've documented before how wearing a Steely Dan t-shirt always, always without fail makes you a new friend. Yep. And we were driving back from Anaheim and we stopped to see Emily's cousins in Pasadena and we went to the Huntington Botanical Garden. I walked in the door and some dude was like, look, I'm not, I don't want to be ageist. I don't want to age this guy. But let's just say he was old. He was old. He was, he was older, an old white man. older than you. <laughs> <laughs> he was an old white man. And he was like, oh shit, Steely Dan. Have you seen him live? And I was like, as a matter of fact, I have. <laughs> and then he was like, do you know if Larry Carlton was playing with them? And I was like, I don't know, dude, I got to go walk this botanical <laughs> garden. I'm not going to like Google Larry Carlton and who he was. I'm not paying that much attention, but it did make me think momentarily about how fun it was to just sit in that concert with you and Eric and uh, and torture Eric with some Steely Dan music for two hours. Oh, that was great. It was worth it. That was great. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so what is the, what is the future? Uh, is there anything in the future of storytelling that we think is going to be like that we can anticipate will be like a game changer. Wow, a game changer. Well, I mean, I think the biggest game changer right now is the democratization of storytelling. How easy it is to get your story out there. For just a mm-hmm. couple bucks, you can write your story, put it up on a website and start posting and asking people to go yeah. read it, right? You know, and the other the other aspect is, you know, the basic equipment to make a film now is in your phone. Uh, yeah. you know, the, yeah. the I think the 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 one exception is the microphone. Mm-hmm. In the phones isn't very good. But the lens is damn fine. You can record 4K video on your iPhone. And if you have the chops and understand how to frame a shot, like you can make a pretty passable movie without investing in anything other than that phone in your pocket. I think the other big thing, the other major sort of game changer is AI. You know, we talked about, we were texting about this this week, but there's this upcoming movie uh, about Anthony Bourdain directed by Morgan Devil. And it came out yesterday that, the filmmakers basically like use machine learning to deep fake Anthony Bourdain's voice for the voiceovers. And there was, you know, rightly so kind of an uproar about it. Like, is that ethical? I remember back in like the 90s, early 2000s, they had beer commercials where the beer was being shilled by John Wayne and Marilyn Monroe and James Dean and all these past icons mm-hmm. that had died. Um, yeah. But, you know, recently we had Peter Cushing revived and mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher, for that matter, to appear in mm-hmm. Star Wars movies. Rogue One used old footage from the 1977 Star Wars A New Hope to splice in pilots for its big space battle. At one point, is it unethical to use that that footage? I mean, mm-hmm. one thing to be said about getting 
I, you know, Carrie Fisher or Peter Cushing, you know, they negotiated with the estates of the people that they were doing. So, I mean, at least like legally it was okay, but how would the, how would John Wayne feel about shilling beer? Probably fine, yeah. but you don't really know. Yeah. I have a feeling that Anthony Bourdain would not be cool with what's happening. Well, like <laughs> the fact that they, deep- he was, <laughs> uh, he was like, you know, he was punk rock. Yeah. I don't know. I can't, I can't imagine that like that would sit well with him. Well, the fact that they, they, he faked his voice to read his journal entries or was it emails or journal entries it was like yeah it's like it's so invasive there's a joke i think it's in monty python and the holy grail where they're reading a text and the guy it might or might have been a mel brooks movie but the guy died while he was writing it so as they're reading it they're like (laughs) and i walked down the corridor and (laughs) (laughs) i think on, on a closing note uh, something you pointed out, which I think is is really on point, is uh, there's just going to be a continued growth in the popularity of non-Western media. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, the American century <laughs> is over. <laughs> so, you know, the future, I think, is that, um, yeah, we're going to see other uh, content from other countries become maybe not ascendant, but at least on par with what we're creating here. And, and that's great. Hey, Parasite won Best Picture. You know, if they mm-hmm. put in place my Ghostbusters idea, that's going to be a huge step. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, ne- next year at this time, Dave, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to book time with you. You'll be filming the Senegalese version of Ghostbusters. Wouldn't that be amazing, and... though? Ghostbusters from all over the world, man. Everybody has ghosts. Everyone needs them busted. Like, let's let's see let's see some bros from you know everywhere bust that shit up. <laughs> Amen, Dave. Amen. So, <laughs> and now I'll be now I'm going to blow the audience's mind. Neil and I have both been dead for two years, and this entire show was deep faked. That's right. So, Dave, next week we're going to embark on this Fast and the Furious, and we're not going to re- we're not going to do all nine movies or ten movies like in a row. We'll just sporadically do uh, a Fast and the Furious review. But next week we're going to do Fast and the Furious, the original, with none other than Paul Walker. Which R.I.P. that's the only Fast and the Furious I've seen. So they're only going to get faster and more furious or Dave. Well, yeah. I mean, they did the, 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 the title convention where they decided that they only wanted to use fast and furious in title names. So it's fast and furious and then furious and the fast. Look, the title conventions don't make any sense. Okay. So we've got the fast and, and the furious. Yes. Too fast, too furious. The fast and the furious colon Tokyo drift. Fast and Furious, Fast Five, then Fast and Furious Six, <laughs> Furious Seven, The Fate of the Furious, and then F Nine. There's no consistency <laughs> in the names of this. And then Hobbs and Shaw. This saga, and then Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> anyway, on that note, this was awesome, Dave. I'm Hobbs, and I'm Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been Planet of the Meerkats. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. The Meerkats are David Garrison and Neil Fries. Our theme song is by the one and only Tawny Frogmouth. You can subscribe to Planet of the Meerkats wherever you get your podcasts. And you'll find links to all of our social accounts at planetofthemeerkats.com. 
We're trying to send a little old-fashioned positivity into your ears, so your support means a lot to us. Thanks for listening.